From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. Play action. Here's Carr looking left. Firing. Touchdown! Jackpot, baby! Hunter Renfro, first to score! It's Jacobs. Cuts over to the left. Slashes back. Breaks free. Crosses the 30. Has a first down, ladies and gentlemen. With 30 seconds left in overtime, they're in Daniel Carlson territory. This game was really a microcosm of what the season was. A lot of ups and downs, but found a way to kind of persevere, find a way to keep a field goal at the end of the game and win it. Jackpot, baby! Let's go to Cincinnati! Yeah, baby! It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go. Four o'clock hour, big five at four, because at five o'clock we go to the national title game, Alabama, Georgia, right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Again, that's at five o'clock. couple of mentions about uh, UNLV basketball coming back after a short pause for COVID. Kevin Kruger with a presser earlier in the day saying it's pretty much run. COVID has through the entire team. They had to cancel, check that, postpone Saturday's trip to play Air Force up in Colorado Springs because... The outbreak was so bad, they actually had less than the minimum allowed. They needed seven players. They didn't have seven players. Kevin Kruger also mentioned he didn't even know if he was going to have enough coaches to coach that game. So uh, that game's already been rescheduled. Uh, this came down uh, just a little while ago. Rebels will now have a busy week. This is going to be the case, I think, all around college basketball. There's going to be a lot of quick turnarounds. Next week, uh, the Rebels will start off the week on Tuesday at San Diego State down at Viejas. If you saw what happened over the weekend, Willie, San Diego State played unbeaten Colorado State. Oof. Just ripped the hell out of them, 79-49. to So that's on Tuesday. Then the Rebels will bounce back, travel to Colorado Springs on Wednesday, and have to play Air Force on Thursday. And then they've got a Saturday game, so a very busy week next week. And hopefully all their bouts with COVID have been very minor because uh, this thing can take a while to recover from, from a breathing standpoint. You know, you, you don't know. Everyone has different reactions to COVID. But uh, Kevin Kruger was confident that tomorrow's game, he's got the minimum of seven players to face New Mexico, and he doesn't think anyone would go back into COVID protocol and be unavailable. And while we're mentioning it, we should throw out there that they're getting super aggressive now that you've got Eric Harper uh, in place officially as the athletic director, UNLV is going to get a lot more aggressive with their ticket pricing and promotion. So tomorrow night, $5 tickets upstairs, $5 tickets upstairs, uh, 22 uh, tickets, $22 tickets uh, starting at 22 in the lower bowl. You can get your tickets at UNLVtickets.com. So a bunch of games coming up as UNLV uh, tries to get its season back on track. And, you know, they haven't had a bad season to this point, but just got to play the games now post-COVID. Battled Born Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Four, number five. Wow, of all the disasters that happened down the stretch, Willie, to change up the playoff picture, the Colts losing to the Jaguars, I'm not going to say as I sat there that I was shocked, but what a horrendous loss. I mean, not only did they get beat, I mean, they, they didn't even have a chance. No. Not a chance in the second half. Carson Wentz was terrible. Their defense wasn't good. They couldn't get Jonathan Taylor going. And I'm telling you, 
I, I think part of this these last two weeks for the Colts was some of the residual from having the team go through a COVID outbreak. I'm right there with you. 100%. I mean, think about this. This is a team with a guy like Jonathan Taylor. They had uh, 94 yards on the ground yesterday. 5.2 average per carry. Carson Wentz, 185 yards. One touchdown, one pick. Not good. And, you know, you just talked about the Rebels, and I'm hearing more and more, you know, the quote-unquote, the symptoms with this new variant. It's not as extreme as previous variants, but you know what? Has stayed consistent is the recovery, the breathing, the stamina, the energy. Um, I've had it. Um, you know people that have had it. It is not an easy recovery. It takes time. And I'm telling you right now, I I, I, I thought the same thing yesterday. I wasn't surprised that Jacksonville won considering the history of this rivalry when Unreal. they played there. But they can't win there. They the can't way, win Jacksonville. The, the way that they came out and dominated that game, I mean, Indianapolis just looked flat. And I will say that you're a further week away from the whole COVID list, you know, the, the, the COVID that they experienced. But I have to wonder if how demoralizing the loss to the Raiders also sort of infiltrated their mental state to prepare for this game. Yeah, I'd also go back. If you haven't watched it, and I'm about halfway through, um, watch – and boy, this next episode is going to be tremendous. Watch the Colts in-season hard knocks. There's there's a lot to admire about Frank Reich. But I'll tell you that, from top to bottom, the Colts organization is very much into itself. Um, and I hope this is a wake-up call uh, because they're, they're not the greatest thing since sliced bread. Um, this is a talented team that should be in the playoffs every year, even with Carson Wentz. Not at 100%. I also don't know if Carson Wentz was ever 100% this year after the uh, the issues early in the season. But there's no reason the Colts in that division should miss out on the playoffs with a guy like Jonathan Taylor who just had a monster season and all these other pro bowlers. Yeah, it is not. Number four. Keep going, Willie. No, I was just going to say it's not as if this team lost to bad teams leading up to that. I would say prior to last week, prior, prior to yesterday, their, their worst loss on paper, you look at, was their season opener against Seattle. After that, they lost to the Rams, the Titans, the Ravens, the Titans again, the Buccaneers, and then the Raiders. What just happened in New York today with Joe Judge? Oh. Yesterday should have been the end. He's freaking taking a knee down three, whatever, basically taking a knee, running quarterback sneaks deep in his own territory in a nothing-to-lose situation, down 3 nothing at the end of the first half. I mean, yeah, I mean, the last these last games for Denver, and Denver in the end, I think, did the right thing. I'm not rooting for guys to lose their jobs. But, I mean, when the handwriting's on the wall that a guy's not an NFL head coach, you got to make a move. I mean, Vic Fangio didn't even try to win at the end of the game. He did the same thing he's been doing his entire Denver head coaching career when you know, he goes for a field goal, and he's like, oh, we'll get the ball back from Pat Mahomes four and a half minutes left. Like, no, you're, you're not going to get it. So while you have the ball – Go for the freaking win. You have nothing to lose. Uh, and Joe Judge just, that's, it's just embarrassing. And listen, there's no arguing it. 
the Jets and the Giants are the two worst franchises in all of the NFL. They just are. Well, and at least the Jets put up a, a, a competitive front and, and seem to have a coach that cares, not a surrendering attitude. I am, Jets, Jets, got, Jets got a little bit better as the season went along, and, and Zach Wilson showed some incremental improvement. There's a little bit of hope with the Jets if they can actually start drafting and like really getting – I mean, they, ha- they have to get guys out of this draft. They've got two top ten picks. Um, but for the Giants – I mean, what a weird situation. What GM is going to walk in there and go, yeah, yeah, I want that job. Wait, I have to keep Joe Judge? Eh, no thank you. Yeah, and, and and who says that they have to? Who says that Wouldn't whoever that be a hoot? Wouldn't yeah. that be a hoot? Two weeks from now, the guy's like, no, nah, I'm not taking the job unless I get to decide who the coach is. Oh, okay. And who and who knows? Yeah, who knows if they are, if they don't already, you know, if, if – if in their mind, who whoever is going to take that job, they're bringing the, they're 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 gonna that's going to be on the table. You know what I'm saying? I, I I can totally see that happening because this guy, it's all about him, and the problem is is that he 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 just doesn't appear to make the decisions that benefit him, or benefit the team. There it it's it's. It's a very, very, you said it, it's a very weird situation with this guy, and I don't get it. Number three. So, Ari, you were saying at the end of the game, you were listening to uh, Brent and Lincoln. They started mentioning the tuck rule, and we're all getting worried about getting screwed over, which is, boy, that would have been, what a take from Raiders fans and Raiders broadcasters that the Raiders could have gotten screwed over. As Dave Koken just mentioned a couple of minutes ago, the pass interference on the Chargers with Zay Jones in the middle of the field and the ball landing 20 yards to his left. That was one of the more ridiculous calls, DPI calls in recent history in the NFL, but good for the Raiders. They took advantage of it. The Chargers didn't recover mentally, and, you know, Jacobs goes into the end zone, but, man, that was bad. Did you see my tweet yesterday? Quick fun fact. Scott Edwards, the same field judge from the Tuck Rule game on January 19, 2002, was the field judge for tonight's game between the Raiders and Chargers. So the the lone remaining. Number two. Boy, can we stop the ongoing fight about a run game not mattering at all? It mattered. It mattered. You know, we talked to Rich Hornberger earlier on the show, former San Diego Charger, does radio uh, down in San Diego an extra 1360. And, you know, he pointed out the fact that the Raiders just played with a smarter game plan yesterday and played keep away. And I hadn't really thought of that, but when you are as limited as the Raiders are in terms of health up until this game without Darren Waller and yeah. your defensive backfield is just bludgeoned by injuries, ball control and wearing down the defense is a great game plan, and it paid dividends in overtime. So, run game's important, folks, and the fact that Jacobs went out there and seemed to be getting one of the only guys in the game who seemed to be getting stronger and finished with 129 yards, and that's what, two of the last three games or two of his best games on the ground the entire season? Yeah. Massive. Massive. I asked Hunter Renfro, you know, when we're sitting up there in the press box and, and you're watching a game like that, you're trying to figure out what's the pivotal point, what's the what's the moment, what's the play, what's what is the precision time that you can turn to to say when this happened. You know, we talked earlier about the uh, 
the the uh, the, the the option to go on uh, on their own 18 yard line. Right? Was that the momentum changing uh, play? And Hunter Renfro said, not a play, but when you know Josh Jacobs is taking over, you see it, you can feel it. And a couple weeks back, he said that Jacobs gets very silent. He just gets quiet, and it's a look in his eyes. So I followed. I said, did he get silent? He goes, oh, yeah. He just got silent and went to work. So uh, even he said last night, Hunter Renfro, that it was it was when Jacobs decided to take over that, that they knew that that game was theirs. Number one. Take off the interim tag. You know, there were reports over the weekend that at least one report that Jim Harbaugh to the Raiders is real close. Not right now, it ain't. Not right now, it ain't. Rich Passaccia has put himself in a position, as you said weeks ago, to get a serious interview. And if he wins a playoff game, man, it's going to be tough to move on from Richie B. It is because you go back to uh, when Josh Jacobs, again, bring up Josh Jacobs, but, you know, that first game in Denver – and can't remember who asked him, you know, what was different? And he said, the quiet, the calm, didn't have running crazy. And I think that he's brought that sense of calm to this, to these guys through so many different adversities and so many times where things could have unraveled, even through that one in five skid when maybe things may have gotten to this rate. We don't know. We don't see what's taking place, especially since they shut down the facility or they, they limit you to in the practices to just the stretching and warm-ups. So we don't see a lot of the stuff that's taking place during drills. If 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 tempers flare or, you know, if maybe there's some any kind of dissension or a little bit of arguments here and there. But Basachi has got such a calm and cool personality. He has it with us, he has it with the players, and you know, he's 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 he was a favorite as a special teams coach, as it was. But now, with the right coordinators who he's got, you know, my guy. My now assistant coach of the year candidate, Gus Bradley. Uh, it may be time to lift the interim tag, or at least you have to. Now there's no doubt he gets an interview. There's no doubt. They go into Cincinnati in what's supposed to be a snowy day, and they come back here and they're preparing for round two. Oh, my. It's the Big Five at Four. Brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. 570 Looking at Renfro, fires to him, touchdown, jackpot, baby. Renfro went in motion, and Carr wanted him all the way. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. 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 So many heroes from last night, Raiders game, so many heroes down the stretch for the Raiders. Who'd have thunk it? Four-game win streak. They're in the playoffs. Ritz Basaccia plays the right way down the stretch, doesn't play for a tie, gets the Bengals in the playoffs instead of the Chiefs. That would have been suicidal. Adam Hill is with us. He's been all over the scene all season long. He was out there last night at the Al. He was out at the, uh, well, you watched. You watched media availability today. Adam, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Uh, fired up. Fired up. Like I said all along, and uh, pretty much like I expected it, 10-7 and Raiders season, as I predicted. Uh, they make the playoffs. Willie and I both said they would make a – Wild card slot. Uh, of course, I'm kidding about the prediction was there, but uh, the way it went down is simply incredible. And then, I mean, that the, the capper, a game like that, it's nuts. Completely nuts. But, I mean, that's how the season has been, right? I mean, 
if you would have said this team is going to go go into the year, have all the things that happened to them happen, and have a negative sixty five point differential for the season, uh, and they're going to be in the playoffs, like that's what? What are you What are you talking about? What do you even mean? But somehow they found a way, and you know we talk about sample sizes all the time. Over the long haul, you would expect last second decisions to kind of be fifty fifty and go. You know, if you did it a whole bunch of times, it would probably even out, but. This year, they're 6-0 and at the end of games. When it comes down to a final play, uh, they've just found a way to win, and that's essentially what happened yesterday. I mean, if you want to look and say, what did they do well? What were they better at than the Chargers? Like, you could say pass rush, uh, which was dominant in the game, and the defensive line kind of controlled the game. But other than that, I mean, the Chargers you know, ran the ball pretty well. They, At times, when they did it, they threw the ball certainly better than the Raiders did. Um they did a lot of things better than the Raiders did. The Raiders just find ways to win. The Chargers find ways to lose, and that's how it's been this year. Uh, end of the game, you know, we've been going round and round on this about uh, Tygate and Staley and the timeout and all that. Uh, Basaccia has not said outright that he was playing for a tie, right? No, and I think there was a lot of confusion just because of how things, go- how things were going um, in that game. And a lot of people have talked about Staley's timeout as if, the Raiders ran the ball and Staley called an immediate timeout. Like that's not what happened. Staley called timeout because there's four seconds left on the play clock and he didn't have his personnel in the game. Like that's why they called timeout there. So I don't know what that really would have changed. Now what changed the dynamic wasn't the timeout; it was the run by Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs busts off a 10-yard run, and that's what changed the math because you weren't going to try a 57-yard field goal. Too much chance to get blocked for something to go wrong. You were going to try to run the ball one time, and if it was going to run out, you're going to let the clock run out. But if you were close enough, you're going to kick the field goal. And they got 10 yards on that game, and so they kicked the field goal. And, Adam, I said earlier that the interview with Michelle Tafoya with Derek Carr, there's so many fans took this to the extreme. When he said, when they said, would that timeout, did that change your mindset? Yes, that changed our mindset. Well, yeah, because, number one, Depending on what you were going to do in a, in a quick, in having to make a quick decision, you also got to rest the workhorse that had injured ribs for a second and thought to yourself, "Hey, let's run him again, possibly, or let's change the play." It gave them time to think about what they were going to do. That was the mindset that was changed: the attack, the mode of attack, not, "Oh well, we won't go for a tie now." Well, let me go one step further, like. People were playing that one clip of Derek Carr after the game, right? They yes. were playing the yeah change, and then he went on to say, "We were always playing for the win." We were like, right? They, they took out that part of it, um, of and that was just kind of Derek Carr with the. A lot of times he does that, just kind of agrees with the question and then answers the question yep. for real afterwards. Yep. Uh, that, that's what he was doing. So I mean, that was that part of that was silly. Again, they were absolutely going to settle for a tie if they didn't get a first down. A hundred percent, they were. They were going to run the ball with Josh Jacobs. If he if he gained two yards or three yards and was short of the first down, they're going to let the clock run out and play it on. They weren't going to try fifty, you know, fifty six, fifty seven uh, yard field goal, even like a fifty four yard field goal. They weren't going to try. It. They have faith in in Carlson, but there's no reason to try that when you know the flip side is if you you know if something goes wrong, you miss it. Um, but even worse, if you get blocked and it's run back, if something disastrous happens, if there's a bad snap that gets run back. Any of those things could happen around the playoffs. So they were 100% playing for a tie if they didn't pick up a first down there. But they did. 
And so that's what changed the equation. And, and I think we can kind of ignore the timeout, forget about the timeout. If you want to say that the timeout allowed the Raiders uh, to co- get into a different running play, a more, you know, a more, um, you know, favorable running situation, the, the Chargers changed personnel, so maybe that changed things. The timeout may have changed some of that dynamic of it. But the yeah. only thing that changed the result, the fact that the Raiders kicked the field goal instead of taking a knee, um, and they, taking a knee is not right, they would have let the clock run out. The only reason they kicked the field goal is because Josh Jacobs actually picked up 10 yards on that play. Talk about Derek Carr's play, and in particular the third down pass, which was a really difficult pass, and Collinsworth went gaga. I know you were at the game. But Collinsworth went gaga over it. I think it was Carr to Zay Jones, and really there was a tiny, tiny window. That got him to the Charger 45. Yeah, it was a ridiculous pass. I mean, it was, it was great. I watched it a couple times today. Um, and there was also one to uh, to Brian Edwards on that drive that was really nice. Uh, made a couple of nice throws. I would say overall his play, I mean, there was times in the first half where I think you could have looked back and said, man, if they don't make the playoffs, Derek Carr is, is solely responsible for it. Not solely, that's not fair, but largely responsible for it. He was bad in a lot of different areas yesterday. Um, missing, you know, missing guys, missing wide open Zay Jones early in the game. Uh, Miss Waller on a couple of plays. Even some of the catches were behind receivers, and they had to slow down and come back to it. Uh, the numbers certainly weren't good at the end of the game if you look at them. Uh, but uh, again, it's this is not a team about you know putting up good numbers. Like on on paper, you would look at this team and say they're not very good. They're they're below twenty in BVOA and Football Outsiders. Uh, like I said, their point differential the fourth worst in history of any team that's ever made the postseason. That's crazy. I mean, the team on paper is just bad. But the, you know, games aren't played on paper all the time, and I know that's you know a lesson that that I have to learn. And you know, short sample sizes uh, are not the same as you know what you would see on paper over over a long period of time. And you know, the the fact of the matter is, the Raiders have found ways to be in games and win them. I mean, four straight wins by a total of twelve points. And I think you could point to things in all the first three of those games that you know would have been different if teams were at full strength, but they weren't. And the Raiders then yesterday went into a game against the Chargers team that was as healthy as they've been all year, playing as well as they played all year, and uh, and they found a way to win the game. And it wasn't pretty, and you know this team's never going to be pretty, but I don't think they care. I think they care just what the wins and losses are. And it's not often that uh, an offense has to game plan. I'm not saying it's just one guy, but damn, it's close to it. Max Crosby, if people didn't know about it before yesterday, holy crap. I mean, the Chargers have a weakness at right tackle because Balaga never got healthy. Storm Norton ain't good. And that just, to me, that changed so many plays for the Chargers. Uh, how did you describe him? Not good? I was being nice. Um, I would have I suggested Willie could have done better. <laughs> Willie's working out. He's in shape. He's good. I mean, he, he basically was just standing there. Yeah. And, and I, actually, I actually think in a lot of ways that Joe Lombardi, uh, more so than Staley, to be so stubborn to leave Norton on an island, um, and not to be too harsh, but like to not use Jared Cook to chip and help out blocking more when Jared Cook can't catch a freaking cold right now. He, he's he's a drop machine. I mean, it was just you got to stop. You got to get the guy help. He's destroying your right tackle. Destroying him. And listen, Max Crosby has been fantastic all season long. No question about it. He was played his best game yesterday. Uh, but that was largely helped out by the fact that you know Norton couldn't block anybody, and he. I mean. I haven't seen them a lot this year. I haven't focused on their games every game, but the little bit that I watched, he was pretty bad. And then yesterday, I mean, he was horrific uh, in every way. And I know, um, you know, last night watching some of the uh, some of the recap stuff, 
uh, from you know some some analysts, and I know the PFF guys were just obsessed with that matchup. They basically said that matchup was the entire game; nothing else on the field mattered, which is kind of true. Uh, Max Crosby just completely and thoroughly dominated, and there was never any adjustment. And um, you know, I think one of the one of the factors that uh, they talked about in kind of understanding how to learn how to break down games in the future and you know be better at it is you look at it, and the Chargers' offensive line has actually been good. They've played they've played well this season, but he hasn't. And sometimes you say, well, the offensive line is good. Okay, well, four of them are good. One of them is a disaster, and if that one is matched up with the best player on another team, that's going to wreak havoc on your team. And I think we saw that happen. And, and you can't just look at it as offensive line versus defensive line. Sometimes you have to look at individual matchups. And in this case, it was a completely dominant individual matchup, and nothing was ever done to try to fix it. We're going to talk to Adam Hill later in the week, so let's close on this as a with a brief look ahead to the Bengals game. Bengals beat the Raiders 32-13. Last time around, and I was mentioning earlier, I'd much rather play the Bengals than the Chiefs who slaughtered the Raiders in, in two trips. Your recollection of that game, 13-6 going to the fourth quarter, and then the Raiders kind of fell apart and you know had some bad mistakes in the final stanza. Yeah, I don't think that that final score is not indicative of uh, of you know how that game was played. The Raiders had a chance to win that. They were in the game. Um, and that was kind of during the stretch where just everything was going wrong. And you know everything was kind of falling apart. And uh, they weren't able to, you know, they weren't able to stop – the bleeding in a lot of cases like they are now. Like now things go wrong during games and they can, you know, find a way to kind of, you know, plug plug the leak and, and move forward. And they just weren't doing that at that point. So one thing went wrong, led to another, kind of spiraled, and the final score is ugly. I, I don't think anybody thinks uh, that that, you know, said what that game was. However, conversely, I know what Cincinnati's side would say is Joe wasn't playing well at that time. Um, he had a stretch in the season where he was bad. And that was kind of during that during that time. So, um, I think he had a lot to do with health. I think he's fully healthy now, and he's looking a lot better. He's actually throwing the ball beat pretty well. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that that side would say, sure, the score was misleading, but we're a much, much better team now, and I think the Raiders believe they're a much better team now too. Adam, we appreciate it. We'll talk to you. Yep, sounds good. Adam Hill, part of the company, also with the Las Vegas Review Journal. Follow him on Twitter at Adam Hill, LVRJ. JVT is going to join us for uh, final takes on betting this college football playoff title game tonight. It's Georgia. It's Alabama. It's three Georgia favored as the game kicks off a little after five o'clock following Cofield and Company. Stick around. Cofield and Company returns in minutes in the Finley Toyota Studios. Just uh, my agent gave me a call, told me it was it was out on Twitter that that was traded. And yeah, so that's uh, that's how I found out. I don't have Twitter. I don't have social media, right? So I'm not on there looking things up all the time. And I think he knows that too. So that's why he gave me a call. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Where was that cut from? Right after last season? Okay, good. I was like, I hope, we did. I hope they didn't. I hope you guys weren't talking about that again. About him not knowing that was Mark Andre Fleury about not knowing when the trade was down and social media and all this and being shocked and like come on, so he got the job done. He got the job done. Uh, how cool was the pregame on Saturday for Mark Andre Fleury before the Knights and the Blackhawks went at it? The hype was was big. Um, In game hosts Mark Chinook and Katie Marie they had made mention of it one time before warmups. The the people that were inside the actual, you know, in their seating uh, area 
get, you know, you can feel the exuberance. And then when that, that bong hits and the, you're usually anticipating the Golden Knights to come down their tunnel and hit the ice. But the second that Mark Andre's pads were visible, and as he hit the ice and the crowd lost it, and people lining the end boards around the curve and with signs, uh, and the number of Golden Knights jerseys that said flurry. Um, and, and you have to think back to the very first season, Steve. One of the biggest visiting crowds was the Blackhawks. So there's still that same Chicago fan base that hockey fans that were there uh, that I'm sure, you know, that goes to games. Now you add in the flurry base and it was just, uh, it was very, very moving. It was very special. Um, you knew it was going to be um, something emotional for him and for the team. Um you know, you made mention earlier when we were talking to Dave Koken that, you know, inside the mask, uh, him tearing up. But, you know, there, there was additional footage that where they went to Jonathan Marchesaw on the bench and you could see his eyes getting watery watching the tribute video. What's crazy is two days before that game when the Rangers were here and Ryan Reeves in his postgame presser said that he didn't expect it to hit him like it did, but it messed him up a little bit for for a few shifts you know, it kind of it got to him, and he became, you know, a little melancholy. And then we found out that um, Mark Andre Fleury and Ryan Reeves spoke in between days when the Rangers went on to Anaheim to play there, and Chicago was coming here from Arizona. Well, guess what? Rather than the traditional return to where you used to play first TV timeout video tribute, the Golden Knights decide before opening puck drop. Please turn your attention to the video board. And so they did it right before the game. Try to get to get underneath uh, Mark Andre, maybe. Sir. So that was asked of him. That was the first question in his postgame presser was, wow, they sprung that video. He goes, yeah, geez. And then he went in to explain how he spoke to Ryan Reeves and how it was touching and everything. But he even said, he said, but we were here to do a job and we got the win. And that's what he was happy about. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with John Von Tobel. JVT is in. Oh, looky here. We're getting ready for the national title game. Part of the coverage tonight. Andrew Luck on the analyst side. John, how's that make you feel, buddy? Didn't see that. Yeah, it was brought up to me over the weekend. You know, can you imagine this Colts? I didn't even stop. I just like stop. Just stop. Like I will always be pro player. I will. Yeah. I thought you know the day that he retired and decided it was remember that preseason game where the fans had the audacity to boo him after everything he'd been through with his body for that team. Will always support the player, uh, but it does still hurt to think about what this team could be with Andrew Luck at quarterback. They they would be, I think, one of the best teams in the National Football League. You know, while we're on it, you should get on Frank Reich a little bit here. I mean, uh, for, in, for in, what? in that in that division, mm-hmm. to come up short. I mean, in this case, it's the ultimate. You know, coming up short, not making the playoffs. 
I'm not saying his job should be on the line, but for a guy who's pretty freaking full of himself and, and he's very highly regarded, come on, man. Jaguars no, and the Raiders on the stretch? What the hell's going on? I completely agree. I, I, look, it's not even just those two games, right? It's having a 14 nothing lead over the Tennessee Titans at home in the second game of their regular season series and losing that game. It's being up 24-14 to 14 in the third quarter against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right, at home and driving and losing that game the way that they did. It's being up big over the Baltimore Ravens on Monday night in Baltimore and losing that game. And by the way, making Lamar Jackson look like, you know, the best passing quarterback in the NFL. And if you look at some of his PFF numbers, he's never even come close to sniffing the output that he had in that contest on Monday night against the Indianapolis Colts. So, you know, up and down the list this year, the Indianapolis Colts have failed and they have failed in situations that they should have succeeded in. And he's a big part of that. And John, he's the guy who wanted Carson Wentz. Yeah. No, it's, it's perfectly fair. And I, I now I would say that if, if you watched this season as a whole and you watched every single game, there were situations and instances where you saw flashes of the Carson Wentz, right, that was the starter for that team that ultimately won the Super Bowl. You saw flashes of it. I mentioned that Tampa Bay Buccaneers game. They don't get up 24-14 to 14 without Carson Wentz in that game. He was brilliant in that game if you actually watched it, right? His athleticism, his passing, it was pinpoint. Like, there were really good things to see out there, but – there were also a lot of failures out there from Carson Wentz, especially down the stretch. Reich said so himself after the game yesterday. Said something along the lines of the passing game in the second half of the season was nowhere near where we needed it to be. So, I, like, I, I don't – at that time, I didn't really kill him for wanting Carson Wentz because if you looked at the landscape, there wasn't many quarterback situations out there. Steve, you and I talked about it a lot. How many times did I say, I would love if the Colts got Derek Carr, right? Because that was the conversations around the time where Carr might have been up for grabs and there was a rumors about the first-round pick or whatever it was. I think this Colts team, and I said it on Twitter yesterday, there's a chance that this team is a Super Bowl contender with Derek Carr, the way that he can play quarterback, because you don't need your quarterback to do much, and I think Carr can do a lot. So I, I, I understand he wanted them. There have been flashes. You hope that maybe now full season under the belt he can fix them, but that is part of the criticism too because Wentz was not good down the stretch. John's on Visa, and you can hear him uh, every day at 1 o'clock. Well, that's Monday through Friday. Does a Sunday show at uh, as well, The Edge, on Visa. And we'll get back to the NFL uh, in just a second here. Give me an angle. Give me your angles. What are you doing? Are you playing Georgia? Are you playing Alabama tonight? No, I just took I took three with Alabama. And, you know, we were talking about this off the air where it was, you know, in, in these championship games and in the Super Bowl, you see it a lot where there's a time where the money line on the favorite becomes cheap because you're going to get a lot of betters to come in uh, and just take that plus price on the underdog, especially in contests like this where it's a relatively tight spread. Uh, and especially, right, it's Alabama. I'm getting, you know, plus money with Alabama. When do you ever see that? So you expect that the money line got cheap at one point, which it did, but it's kind of balanced out here. But I think ultimately it comes down to me. There's two things, and it's quarterback-centric. One, I'm just not sure if Stetson Bennett can replicate what he did against Michigan. Like, he was great. 20-30, 3-13, 10.4 per attempt, three touchdowns. It looked like he was challenging the ball downfield. I don't know if you get that for a second consecutive game. And on the flip side, you know, Georgia, if you look at their schedule, and I, I brought this up to you guys the last time we, just, we talked about this game, which was the best offense before that SEC championship game was Tennessee, right? They, they have not faced a quarterback that has really challenged them vertically until they ran into Bryce Young in Alabama, and we saw what happened there. Now, Mechie's not going to be out there, and we did see that Alabama was only up 17-6 to going into the fourth quarter over Cincinnati, so that gives me some pause. But I think at the end of the day, Young is such a next-level quarterback and one that is so much different that they have faced all season long that it makes the difference, so it took plus three. High scoring, low scoring. 
I think it's I think it's probably going to be higher scoring. Like I think it's going to be in the in the same vein of the SEC championship game. I think Alabama is going to be able to do what they want. And I don't think this Alabama defense is perfect, right? Like we saw what Texas A&M was able to do to them in that game in terms of their DBs getting beat downfield a little bit. We saw, of course, the physical nature of Florida early in the season. If you remember, actually ran the ball relatively well. But I think Alabama is going to give up some points here too. But I, and I think this is going to be a higher scoring, tight, a tightly contested game that Alabama essentially eventually wins. JVT is with us. Uh, back to the NFL. Uh, your guy, Mike Lombardi, suggested today in a tweet that Brandon Staley should be fired. Yeah, I don't buy that. <laughs> I don't really buy that at all. And like, it's a really deep conversation to be had. But but at the end of the day, right, the, the Chargers are in position last night to win a playoff game before that game tips off, or excuse me, tips off a bunch of basketball, before that game kicks off. And as it goes on, because of the way that Staley has coached them, right, like the, they're a potential playoff team because of some of the things that he has done well. So I wouldn't fire him in any way whatsoever. You know, we can have conversations about the timeout, the fourth down, all that stuff. But to overreact and say he deserves to be fired, I think it's a, it's a little hyperbolic given the situation. All right. Let's uh, let's look ahead to Wild Card Weekend. First of all, the number on the Raiders and the Bengals. Yeah, well, so this is interesting. So we have a lot, a lot of rematches, right? And this is the fascinating part uh, about this. So we, you know, I, I heard kind of tying back into that Sunday night game, part of the argument, which was, hey, you know, the, the Raiders were fine with the tie. Remember, the Bengals beat them and they dropped 30 points on them. If, if you watch the game in the fourth quarter, they scored 19 points and 17 of them were in the final five minutes, right? Because the Raiders fell apart. It was a tightly contested game. And the Bengals were only a one and a half point favorite in that contest. And remember, if we, as I brought up with you guys and you guys have discussed, home field is worth nothing. So now we're talking about that being a one and a half point spread. Bengals get the win on the road. And now we're talking about six and a half. For Cincinnati, and you know, I guess if you want to paint the picture of early Saturday game, big emotional spot on Sunday, that's a really big adjustment off of a game that was much closer the first time around than it, than initially. Right when you look at the box score, so I'm pretty, I'm, I'm interested in the Raiders, and I want to see what the market does because it, it seems like that's a slight overreaction given to the way the Cincinnati Bengals closed out the season. John, I want to know from you when you look at the complexion of this first round, not the teams that have the buy or even. The higher the, the two seats, <clears throat> there's always going to be those dangerous teams or that one dangerous team you don't want to run into because of how they're playing. Raiders could fall in that category, but in your eyes, which teams from the AFC and the NFC are the most dangerous toward the bottom of the seats? I mean, so you mentioned one of the the one of the more obvious ones, which would be the Raiders. I think the one that the market's really going to fall in love with and already has really is San Francisco. Especially not not only the way that they're playing, but the way that they ended that game against the Los Angeles Rams, coming back, tying that game late the way that they did. And they're also just kind of a public darling team. They get regularly supported at the window on a week-to-week basis. And they're a team out of all the ones we've seen outside of Kansas City, Tampa Bay, that have been there and done that, right? We watched them play in the Super Bowl just a few years ago with essentially the of this roster right now. So I would say that the San Francisco 49ers definitely fall into that category. I think the market's going to handle them as such. If you looked at overall, like the global market, we saw three and a halfs and fours pop up on this number. Some One global market opened at a four and a half really quickly, and that went down to three. So there's a lot of support for San Francisco. And I think outside of the Raiders who had to win those games consecutively to get in, San Francisco is definitely going to be in that category because, you know, to steal your phrase that you used earlier, they've been playing playoff football for a little bit now. I think the Bills four is short against the Patriots. Well, I'm curious as to why because I, I think it's I think it's pretty I think it's a pretty big adjustment. I took four and a half actually with New England, 
because yeah. if you look at just again, you know me, Steve, like I'm really big on just like, why would you change the number, right? Like, what is the difference? And when we saw these two teams play each other, it was three both times. Now we're talking about, oh, let's adjust this a point and a half. And for what reason? I don't know. Josh Allen is still a very volatile quarterback. Josh Allen is still prone to put the ball in danger many times. We saw him do it a couple of times against New England, and we've seen him do it throughout the season. And it's led to some bad losses like the Jacksonville Jaguars game. We know that the weakness for Buffalo up front is against the run game that I think the Patriots can put out there. And so I'm curious, like, just why the market would adjust so strongly going from three to four and a half, given there's no real strong injuries for the Patriots other than Christian Barmore. Yeah, I think we saw the true difference between the teams. And while Allen is volatile, his upside is a lot higher. Mac Jones, within a game, really has no upside. He was 14 to 32 for 145. He threw two interceptions. Uh, I think the Bills load up and dare him to throw. And I'm not, listen, I'm not saying they're going to win by three touchdowns, but I think they can handle the Pats. All right. And, and look, and that's fair because Mac Jones, the last month, I'm a big Mac Jones fan. Like, I think he's got a pretty high upside in, in the big picture. Right. Um, but this last month has not been great for him. He's been a little uh, uneven in terms of his play. I just think when you like it's it for me, I'm not a Josh Allen hater like Adam Hill. Uh, but the, the, the highs and the lows, the highs are so high, but the lows are so low that, like I mentioned, you're going to get into a nine. You can find yourself in a nine to six game with the Jacksonville Jaguars or you're rolling over the doing with Patriots like they did in that second matchup. So for me, it's just, you know, I'm a big numbers guy. And to move and adjust a number from three to four and a half is a really solid move based off of nothing really tangible that we've seen over the last week and a half, you know? You talked about rematches. Um, Arizona and the Rams, it was a Monday night game, and they split the season series. I look at the both teams, how they finished down the stretch. And so the Rams, right, five and two finish, but they lost to the Packers. They beat the Cardinals, but then you got the Jags thrown in there. You got the Seahawks, the Vikings. They lose to the 49ers. Um, same with the Cardinals. You know, some unimpressive loss to the Lions. How do you see this? these two sort of the rubber match? Yeah, so I think, to put it frankly, I don't think either of these teams really is a Super Bowl like threat. So I'll play this back when one of them wins it. Um, but I just – so this is the meeting of, I think, two teams that are going to move on to get eliminated. But out of the two, there's a couple of things that stick out. One, this year, Arizona – how about this – I didn't realize this. I so looked it up the other day, uh, yesterday. Arizona's eight and one straight up and against the spread on the road this season. They have not liked playing at home in any way whatsoever. But when they hit the road, they seem to be more comfortable. And that just might be a trend with noise and, and a random blip on the radar because nine games is not that much. Uh, but it's definitely worth noting. And for the Rams, you know, we talk about quarterbacks and the difference that some of these guys make. Matthew Stafford is. Uh, we talk about volatile. The turnovers that Matthew Stafford has committed down the stretch here, it's been mind-numbing to watch the way that he has played quarterback. He's got nine turnover-worthy plays in the last three games alone. He's got ten in the last four. And that's been a big reason why they have either lost a couple of these games or been in tight contests, i.e. the Baltimore game, the San Francisco game, which he throws an interception to end it. We saw his turnovers become a really big issue in the Green Bay Packers game that you mentioned, right? The Tennessee Titans game, it ultimately led to the Titans to a victory. So for me, when I'm looking at this, like, I just I don't have faith in Stafford given the way that he has played and given his penchant for turning the ball over. 25 turnover-worthy plays on the season. He's committing a turnover-worthy play on nearly 4% of his dropbacks. To me, that's that's not going to get it done in the postseason. And I, especially now I have on the other side a Cardinals team that can run the ball relatively well, takes care of it for the most part, and plays well on the road. I, for me, it's going to be Cardinals or pass. Last one on the NBA. What was uh, Clay Thompson's? Return like, and how did Dr. Dre, Draymond Green, screw up the props market? Uh, so this is great. So, one, it was good. Uh, I liked it. I liked watching uh, Clay Thompson. I, I, I 
it was cool to just see him back as a basketball fan because he's one of my favorite players to watch. So it's great seeing him out there, especially if you haven't seen him for only three years. But this is great. So Draymond Green, to honor him, decided to have like an honorary start. So he starts, he's announced in the starting lineup, but he immediately, when the ball is tipped off, limps over to Darius Garland, fouls him, Steve Kerr pulls him, and he's out of the game and he doesn't play because he's got a calf injury. Well, he, he appeared in the box score. He committed a foul. So there's a statistic for him. But this was reported right before tip-off. So a lot of bettors got in and started betting his unders on props, parlaying them together. They were just hammered. So they hammered some of these markets. Yeah. There's been a good amount of shops that have paid these off, but there's been one or two that still have these tickets open. And, and I think it's cut and dry, man. Like, he played, and yep. they got the information. You need to pay that out. All right, John. Uh should I call you tonight to make another college football playoff bet for next year? Uh, sure. I mean, everything's in good, right? We're good. This is exactly what we wanted. There's nothing the wrong with the college is healthy. football playoff. Next year, it's not going to be Alabama and Georgia. I guarantee that. I don't think it's that's going to be Alabama and Ohio State. <laughs> All right, John. We'll see you. See you, guys. There he is. John Von Tobel from Beeson. Willie, great job. Title game is coming up. Ari, excellent job as well. Alabama and Georgia, the rematch that everyone wanted. Here we go. Kickoff in just a few.